right, how are we doing? Good, good, good. If you have your Bibles, grab those. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. You're probably thinking, how in the world are we going to talk about the kingdom in Daniel? Um, you'll see, we'll try to tie it all together here shortly. I think it'll fit right along with what we talked about last week. Um, just want to point your attention real quick to our app. If you want to follow along, you can follow along there under the worship tab. Um, you'll see the sermon for today is there, the scriptures and different points from today. Um, but Daniel chapter 2, we'll get there shortly. Um, and really, again, it just, it just ties in, I think, well with where we were at last week as we uh, looked at the king who has all this authority, authority, as Jesus establishes himself and he tells us of who he is and how he uses his authority and, and rules and reigns in ways that are unexpected, like last week when we see him uh, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. I mean, what king does that? How, how, why would they do it that way? And, and we see Jesus come in with humility is what it says. I mean, what king rules uh, with humility and, and gentleness and love and grace and mercy? And then we looked at how he proclaimed his kingship by protecting the temple and, and reminding everyone that this is a place of prayer. That we're not going to make a mockery out of God's house. That we're going to, uh, uh, it's been established for a certain purpose. And so he, we see him do that. And then we see Jesus proclaim his kingship by healing the blind and the lame. I mean, what king hangs out with the busted up and broken like that? And we see Jesus uh, establishing himself in that way. And then we finish by looking at his kingship as he responds to children. I mean, what king has time for children? And we see Jesus always has a special place in his heart for the littlest and the least of these. And so we see that last week as we talked about Jesus and his love for the children and responding to the children. And so all, all of those ways, all the ways that we looked at last week was just Jesus proclaiming his kingship. And it was in direct uh, uh, reference to the prophecies that were foretold. Jesus is just living out things that were foretold in days of old. And so he shows us the kind of king that he is. He shows us his heart and his nature by the way that he speaks and the things that he does there as we looked last week. And so really my hope and my prayer for us as we're walking through this series of the kingdom is just simply this is that the Holy Spirit would bring this confidence to us. Bring this confidence in us, a security a peace that passes understanding, especially for us as believers, especially in the day and the time that we're in, and as it's shaky and as uncertain as they are. My hope is that God would just establish upon his truth, upon that reality of who he is and what, what he's established and what he has done. And so I stood on the stage about four weeks ago, the same as, same as Eric just kind of shared a moment ago of, of how I've just felt this built up anxiousness and unsettledness that I've never felt before. That I've just felt this, this, this um, unmerited, like, little, like, worry. Like, what in the world is going on with our, our, our world today? And just, I've, never, I've never been in that place. I'm a carefree, laid-back, easy-going type of guy. And, and hear me, I, I know all the truths. I know that God's sovereign. I know that he's in control. I'm there. I, I understand that. I, I get that. But for whatever reason, in this season of my life, I just, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not engulfed in that. And so as I've, as I've looked at the kingdom and as I've been praying through and walking through, what, what I've seen is this, is that my attention and focus has gotten off on the wrong things. It's been more concerned with the news. It's been more concerned with reports. It's been more concerned with all the craziness that's just being spun out there, all the stuff that's just happening. And, and in the midst of all this, I, I've taken my focus and my eyes off of the one thing that I should have my focus and eyes on. And so that's my hope as, as we walk through the kingdom. We'll just be reminded of these weighty truths of who Jesus is of what he's doing and how he's working that'll get us back to that place where our foundation will be set on that rock, on that rock of truth and, and all that he has done on a solid and secure foundation. And so my prayer is that as, as a result of that truth, we just look in the series as we walk through our, man, our hope is secure and our faith is strengthened even in spite of what this world may throw at us. Even in spite of the day that seems to be uncertain. And so I just want us to find that hope in the kingdom and what God has said and promised. 
And so even as I think of hope, hope is just simply to, to look forward to with desire and reasonable confidence. And so church, as we open up God's word, as we root ourselves in truth that is unchanging, then we, we can have reasonable confidence that our God, our King is in control. We, we've got to get back to the place where we know where our hope is found and it's in Christ and what Christ is doing. Even in the midst of chaos, even in the midst of craziness, that, that Jesus is still working and doing and he is not taken off guard by anything. And so my desire for us today is to see just how Jesus through parables is going to teach us how the kingdom will come in ways that we've never, ever expected. And so, so this week I was reading a story. It was kind of an intriguing story. It's about something that, that wasn't what it seems. It was something that wasn't expected. And, and there's this Arizona man who was kind of sorting through his stuff. He was about to go to a retirement home. And he was sorting through, kind of wanting to weed out and get rid of what he didn't need and, and those type of things. And so he ends up contacting um, uh, this guy to come and look at his vintage Lakers poster that he thought might be worth something. So he ends up contacting him and he come, comes over. And, and this guy's name is Josh Levine. He's an appraiser and he comes by and, and he sees the poster. He's really not interested in it. But what he is interested in and what catches his eye is this old painting. There's this old painting hanging on the guy's wall. And this, this, uh, this guy sees that. Heck with the Lakers poster, right? But, but the painting. And so he begins to do some research. He begins to dig and, and look at it. There's these colorful swirls. And so what he comes to find out is this, is that it's the work of Jackson Pollock. And so it's a very sought after painting. It's a very highly uh, expensive and, and unique painting. And it belonged to, to the guy's sister who actually gifted it to him. And so what happens is they end up taking that, that painting and they, they, they put it up for auction. And the starting bid was $5 million. But the guy said that it's probably worth three times that price. I mean, how crazy. Just some goofy little painting on the wall with swirls. I mean, it, it looks like my, my four-year-old could have done it. I, I mean, how in the world is that art? How is that so expensive? How is that so great? Like, I mean, I mean I, I've, I've got a ton of that stuff just laying around the house. Come see me. And so for whatever case, it's because of the one that painted it. It's because of that. It didn't seem like much, but it ends up selling for upward near $15 million. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the kingdom and, and the way, that, and it doesn't seem like it's much, but, but there's so much more going on than we can ever imagine. And the message that Jesus gives this morning, I believe, is a message that will be very encouraging for us, especially in the day that we're living. So I'm going to ask you if you join me as we pray, and then we'll jump in here in just a few moments to Daniel. Father, we, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. Father, how crazy is that story? Uh, every one of us in the room now is going to go home and try to sell all of our paintings. But, but Father... The crazy thing is something that doesn't seem like much, doesn't seem like worth or have great value, ends up being very worth, uh, have immense value. So Father, even this morning as we open up your word and as we look in it and as we see this parable that you're going to teach, that you're going to tell us of here shortly, Father, it doesn't seem like much, but God, we have got 2,000 years that we can look back at and see exactly what you're talking about. That, that there is great truth, immense worth and value in what you've proclaimed and what you've said and what you've done. So, Father, I pray this morning in this place that you would speak peace upon us. God, I know that there's hearts in this room that are just shaky right now, that there's worry, there's anxiety through the roof, there's struggle. And so, Father, I pray, God, this, this morning would, would just be a fresh breath from you, that you would just speak to our hearts and that you would help us be all the more secure and find our hope all the more in you. Jesus, we thank you, we praise you. It's your name we pray. Amen. 
Amen. Uh, so, so we miss so much in our world as it pertains to the scriptures. Just uh, the way that uh, our understanding of culture and context is, is not the same as those that we read of. And so we, we're being removed from that, we, we, we miss so much. And so I just want to say, just don't become so disconnected and unaware because what we do is we read into and we add things to certain things that don't need to be added to. And so we need to understand that what, what Jesus is about to say, what he's about to tell us about the kingdom it would be very, very offensive to the hearers of this day. It would be very, very confusing, very, very agitating, uh, and not received well by these first century Jewish people. And so they have this view of the kingdom that's much, much different than what Jesus is going to describe and what he is going to tell them. Their view centers around power. It centers around control, uh, might and force, military backing, those type of things. And so they have this hope that, that at the coming of the Messiah, the coming of Christ... That Rome would be overthrown and done away with. They're tired of being under that rule and under that government. And they believe that Jerusalem would be the epicenter of the world where the nations would come and, and would worship God. They believe that every enemy of God would be destroyed, vanquished, done away with. That, that God would be established back to where he needed to be. And that was their view of the Messiah. Their view of the Messiah was formed from the Old Testament. Let, let, let me show you. Daniel, Daniel 2, we'll get there in just a second. Let me get us caught up to there. So what we have is Nebuchadnezzar, and he has this dream uh, that, that just wigs him out a bit. And so he's the king of the world at this point. I'm the very known world, as far as the eye could see, Nebuchadnezzar owned it. He ruled it. He governed over it. And so his dream that he has, it ends up terrifying, scares him to death. And when he wakes up, it's one of those dreams that he just can't, can't get over. He can't get unafraid of. And so it's, it's the kind of dream they just can't shake. And so Nebuchadnezzar, what he does is he calls his diviners in. He calls his witches, his wizards. And he says, hey, I had this dream. And it just really, it bothered me. It wigged me out. It scared me. And I have no peace in my heart or in my mind. And I need you to tell me the dream and interpret it for me. So the diviners say, okay, well, just tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. But Nebuchadnezzar doesn't go for that. He's like, no, 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 no. You are the diviners. You tell me the dream and interpret it. And not to put too much pressure on you, if you, if you don't do it soon, then what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill you. So, so I, mean, I mean, think about that for a moment. You've got all these that's supposed to be able to interpret, these diviners, they know the future, all the stuff that's coming. He calls them in, they can't even tell him the dream. They ask for him to tell them the dream and he won't do it. And so he's like, and, and there's a stipulation, if you don't hurry up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be done away with you. And so they can't do it, but, but they don't get killed. But they're unable to do it, but, but they don't lose their life. Why? Because Daniel comes in. He shows up. And when Daniel shows up, does he not only tell them the dream, but he interprets the dream for him. So he tells them what the dream is, and then he interprets it. And so the story is in the Old Testament, and it has this interpretation that would have caused these first century Jews to have, have this certain kind of hope and desire and longing as they sit under the oppression of Rome. So that brings us to Daniel 2.31. This is what it says. This is Daniel telling him the dream. He says, You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and, it, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. And as you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on the feet of iron and clay, and it broke them into pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, and the silver, and the gold all together were broken into pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away. So that not a trace of them could be found, but the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. 
I mean, now that's, that's a pretty tough dream, is it not? I mean, I mean, that's a nightmare. What in the world is going on? What you have is this massive image. And, and you're feeling small in this moment. And then out of nowhere, there's this stone that just shows up and it just smashes it all into pieces. And then it's blown away and left for nothing. It's gone. It's, it's not there anymore. And then the rock, that rock that does it, grows into this mountain. And the mountain fills the whole earth. Like, what in the world is going on? I mean, so he wakes up in a cold sweat. He's, he's wigged out. He doesn't know what's happening, what's, what's, what's taking place. And so, I mean, he's on pins and needles here. And then what does Daniel do? He interprets it for him. In verse 37, he says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. And I just want to push pause for a moment. Can I say hallelujah? Thank you, Jesus. I mean, think about that. What, what he's saying here in the midst of this, that God's sovereignty is in control in this moment. That God, that, that he wasn't just there by happenstance. That God is in control of all things. God is aware of all things. God is moving and working in all things, regardless of whether it seems to be great or regardless if it brings panic in our life. The God of the universe is moving. And, and I don't know about you, but just as I read that this week, you, O King, the King of Kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory. God's allowed him to be in that position. I mean, how encouraging is that? Especially the world we're walking in, right? Especially the day that we're living in. You want to talk about hope, that's where hope is found. It's found in Christ. It's, we've got, church, I'm going to say this to the day I doubt, we've got a king. We don't need a king. That king is gracious and good and loving and he has given everything for us by way of his son Jesus on the cross. We've got a king. It may get difficult for us. It may be uncomfortable for us as believers, as a church. But you show me in the scriptures where it's always just peachy king and everything's great and lovely and good and just, just roses all the day and baby angels flying around and us getting whatever we want whenever we want. I mean, do you understand like in church history that, that believers were fed to lions, that believers uh, uh, were lined to the streets and caught on fire so people could see to get back home to their place along the roadways? I mean, I mean the church has always been persecuted. The church has always had it out with the world. The world despises and want nothing to do with. And so as I read this and as I think about this, and I don't know where you land with the sovereignty of God, but man, man this is a great hope for me. To know in the midst of what seems to be crazy and chaotic, and, and, and hear me, what, what we feel now is nothing compared to the people that Jesus is going to be talking to here in a moment. Nothing. The, the, the angst and the worry and the fear, just by taking the name of Jesus could cause you your life that very moment. Just by not renouncing and not standing up for Rome could cause you your life in a moment. But here in the midst of this, as Daniel explains, God has got a purpose. God has got a reason. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God's stirring in your heart or what you're going through or what you're fighting through or what you're battling. But man, God's got a purpose for it. He is good and loving and gracious. And, and, and hear me, he is much smarter than anybody in this room. Much smarter and much greater than anybody in this room. And he is working and doing. And so as I read that this morning, as, as Daniel interprets this dream, he reminds the king that God has put him in this place. And so let me read it one more time and we'll continue on. 37 says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and to whose hands he has given wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you ruler over them, you are the head of gold. And so he's just 
breaking it down and telling Nebuchadnezzar what it's looking like. Verse 39, another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom strong as iron because iron breaks into pieces and shatters all things and like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. Verse 41, and as, as you saw the feet and the toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom, but some of the firmness of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall partly be strong and partly brittle. Verse 43, as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage but they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. Verse 44, look at this. It says, And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up the kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. That's what they're hanging on to. That's their hope there, what we're going to see here in a few moments. That's what they're, they, they, they are familiar with this scripture. They, they know this story. And he goes on and says this in the second part of 44. It says, It shall break into pieces all these kingdoms and break them to an end and it shall stand forever. Verse 45, Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke into pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. So, so now do you see why they think the Messiah is going to come? He's going to come in a violent way? He's going to come in a way with an iron fist. And see, it was just, it was just told that the empire of iron, which they, they took to be Rome, and the bronze, which was Greek, you have this idea that when Christ comes, he's going, to, uh, he's going to rid the world of pagans and establish his kingdom of holiness with a sword. That he's going to rule and reign however he needs to. And, and that seems pretty logical, does it not? It seems like very logical. Why? Because the biggest and baddest wins. The strongest and the mightiest wins. How else do you rule an empire? How else do you overthrow an empire? How else do you run an empire of iron? And so these people that are going to hear this parable told here in a few moments are people who are under the rule and oppression of Rome. I mean, they've been tortured. They live in fear. I mean, anything can happen at any time. I mean, they've been murdered in ridiculous numbers. They've been tortured and crucified at a moment's notice. Where's their hope? It's in Christ. It's in the coming Messiah. And they think and they believe when he gets here, Rome will finally have what's coming to it. And then what happens? Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and there's this building excitement about the kingdom of God being at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And what does Jesus give them? Turn, turn over to, to Matthew 13 verse 24. Turn over to Matthew 13, verse 24. As these people are awaiting their king to rightfully take his place. I, I was just thinking about it this week. It's almost like one of those old karate movies. One of those old karate, I mean, uh, um, these old karate movies where you have the sensei and the sensei's there and as he's there, he's, he's got his pupil that he's raising up and he's teaching all these moves. He's teaching uh, karate. He's teaching him how to defend himself, how to, how to fight to do what he needs to do. And as he, as he does that, he's got all these like weird ways of doing it. Wax on, Daniel, son. Wax off. I mean, I want to know karate, not how to clean a car. But he had a purpose for it, didn't he? Mr. Miyagi was doing something in Daniel's life in The Karate Kid. He, he was doing something. And I just think of, of movies like that, of these, these, these old senseis. And what happens is the big bad bullies, they show up. And they start to rough up the guy a little bit. And then what happens? The sensei comes in. I'm like, yeah, it's going to get good now. And what does he do? He works them over without even hitting them. It's like he takes a little pinky and he twists them around and he puts them on the ground. And then he gets another guy and takes his little... And it's just like crazy how he just works him over without even really like, like any brute force. 
And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, what? Like, like, let, this, let this guy go. Like, 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 break bad on him for a moment. And there's this desire. I mean, as, as I read this and as I look at this and as I think of this and this world that they're in, there's that thought in them. I mean, I mean if, if, if God would just come and just work him over. But Jesus is kind of like the sensei. And he comes in and he teaches different. He does some things differently. He tells stories different. Those that were his, he's going he's to train and raise up in a way that's contrary and different to, to even their wildest imagination and their wildest thought of how things should be. And so when we get to Matthew 13, verse 24 here, it's kind of one of those moments where Jesus starts in with telling some parables. And now a parable is just a heavenly story with an earthly meaning. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to direct and point toward a, a heavenly uh, a centralization. But he's going to use the, the, the time and the day to do that, to point them to it. And so this is what he says in Matthew 13, 24. It says that he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared. So the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God's uh, synonymous here. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? Verse 28, he says to them, an enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both of them grow until the harvest. In the harvest time, I will tell the reapers to gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. How is that the kingdom? The kingdom is weedy and wheaty? Like, what in the world is Jesus doing here? I mean, they're, they're on the edge of their seat waiting for the Messiah, waiting for the king to rise up with an iron fist. I mean, they're, they're thinking, Daniel, crush him, man. Let's just get that Messiah. Let's let the kingdom be about that. Let, let's let the way of the kingdom appear that way. When will we finally get ours? And then he goes on in verse 31, and he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like what? A grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it's larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds of the air can come and make nests in its branches. And he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in a three measure of flour till it was le all leavened. And so these people are here in this moment, they're hearing these parables about the kingdom and they're thinking that, 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 that things are about to turn around for them. That things are about to change very, very soon and very, very quick. Much like in our day. I mean, we've got a hope. We've got a desire. And, and my question for us today, church, is, this, is, is it a hope and a desire that matches to Scripture? I mean, our prayer should be, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We'll, we'll talk about that in a few weeks. But, but what that means and what that looks like, God, 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 your way today in this day as you tarry. Oh, God, may, may you work and may you do and so there's this anticipation and this anxiousness, but Jesus says, no, 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 you're going to grow as my people, but what's going to happen is that the weeds are going to get in with you. And as the righteousness increases, so will evil. And as my kingdom spans, expands, there's also going to be weeds with it. There's going to be weeds there also. And so then he goes on to say that the kingdom is going to play out like a mustard seed. It's going to start real, real tiny, like the mustard seed is the tiniest of all seeds. 
And it's so tiny and minute and insignificant so it would look like. It's going to start out that way, but what's going to happen? It's going to grow and it's going to grow and it's going to grow until it gets bigger than any of the other shrubs in the garden. I mean, think about that for a moment. See, what Jesus is doing in this parable has nothing to do with the mustard seed. It has nothing to do with the wheat in the field. There's a deeper meaning than that. I mean, think about it for a moment. The 12 disciples, that's how Jesus starts, is it not? He goes after and he spends the early part, or the part of his ministry, his life of ministry, going after those 12 and influencing and raising up and showing and walking with and, and training and loving and, and caring and, and disciplining and correcting and, and teaching and, and, and a number of things. And then what happens? He dies. And you think that the, it would have ended there, but no, no, no. Why? Because he's raised up. It's more than the mustard seed. It's, it's more than just the, the weed in the field. There's this expansion that's going to happen. There's something deeper going on that God's doing and working. I mean, I think of Matthew 28. We talk about it all the time around here. Go make disciples of all nations. God's got a purpose and a mission for his church, for his kingdom here on earth. So the kingdom of God is like a little bit of leaven in a large lump of dough. What happens if you give it time? What does it do? It just raises the leaven and it works through every part of the dough. You can't separate it. Once you mix it in and you put it in there and you, you've kneaded it and you've done all the things to it, they say, that's what the kingdom of God's like. Jesus and his kingdom comes and it moves in a way that we would never expect. And is that not how Jesus does things? I mean, is that, is that not? His ways are contrary to the ways of the world. It's even contrary to the ways of the most smartest, dignified Jesus comes and moves and he does in a way that would blow your mind. Why won't you just do it like this, Jesus? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know that's a struggle in my life. Control, man. I mean, I mean I, I've shared this before, but I hate to fly. And the reason why I hate to fly is because I'm the guy in the back of the plane with a little seatbelt on and have no control. None. And the joker in the front steering the thing, I don't know what kind of night he had last night. And that wigs me out a little bit. And so I can remember, I can remember being on, on mission trips or taking trips. I can remember going on our honeymoon and, and flying and having the opportunity to fly a few times. And I despised it. Like, I, like I wanted to be the guy drugged in the corner. Uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm, like, something to just, like, knock me out. That's, that's, that's the kind of drugs I wanted. Just, so I didn't know. So if it crashes, I have no recollection. I'm just in heaven with Jesus. It's all great. You know what I'm saying? That's what I wanted because it freaked me out. And, and I can remember one time, like, we went on a mission trip. And this is how I would kind of, this is how I would kind of like, like, like be logical in my mind, like my ways, my desires, is I just went on a mission trip and I was coming back and I'm like, there's no way that Jesus would kill me now. I mean, we've got stories to go back and tell people, you know? Like there was one time that I flew out to uh, Idaho for a training, a church training type thing. And, and again, that's, that's my logic. Like Jesus would never take me out now. I gotta get back to the church and make it better. I mean, he's giving me all this stuff. There's no way that he, no way you'd do it right now, would you? He could have and he would have been justified. And see, what happens is it's my, it's my lack of control in that moment that I despise. And so what we do and what happens so often is we see that the way that God does things and we, we just can't stand it. Man, it, but, but God, if, if, if I were you, I would do it like this. And we tell him that over and over and over, don't we? The way we pray, the way we approach him, the way we think about the kingdom. And I mean, if, if I was king for a day, I mean, can you imagine what kind of a mess we would have if any of us in this room was king for the day? I mean, the desires and the, and the longings and the way that we would govern and rule. And so Jesus does things different in ways that would never be expected. And so as we, we wind down, I want to just give you some encouraging news. 
as we think about these parables, as we look at these parables, as we try to figure out what is he talking about when he's talking about the kingdom has come or, or this is what the kingdom of God's like, I would say this is that it's happened. And it's happening. I mean, think about it for a moment. I, like, I love to point back to stuff like this. I mean, we're sitting in 2020 in Spartanburg County in Bowling Spring, South Carolina. And those of us in the room that are born again as men and women of God, we are a part of another kingdom. That's what he's talking about here in this parable. I mean, think about it. Over the last four weeks, we, or four weeks ago, we opened up the service with a young lady who had given her life to Jesus, a, a little girl who'd given her life to Jesus, and boom, there it is again. There's the kingdom come right there in that little girl's heart. I know that we've got, we've got two other little girls that are waiting to be baptized. What, what's that? That's the kingdom come in their heart right there. They're part of the kingdom now. And we get to see that, and we get to be a part of that, and we get to experience that. That's, that's what it is. A little mustard seed way back when went into the ground and has grown up, and it has grown, and it has grown, and it has grown. That's what the kingdom of God's like. It's going to grow and it's going to take over and it's going to move. And I just think of those times that I've had the opportunity to go to, to Mexico and share the gospel on mission trips. I've been to Guatemala. I, I know that you've been to Nicaragua. We, I, mean, I mean, when you go and you see what the church is like outside of America, it, it will rock your world to see men and women hungry for the gospel, hungry for the desire. I mean, I just think of, of the church, the stories I've heard from my brother-in-law about Nepal. I think of Africa. I, th I think of China, communist China, and how the gospel and the church is busting at the seams there. You can't squash it. You can't slow it down. You can't make it stop. The very gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. The citizens of the kingdom are global. Are global. Again, as I mentioned, the Great Commission, go into all the world to make disciples. All nations, all peoples, everywhere. That's what the kingdom, that's the way of the king. Is he's going after everybody, everywhere. And the second thing that I think that we can draw from this, some encouraging news is this, is that even in the darkest of hours, the kingdom of God grows. Even in the darkest of hours. Don't be surprised at the weeds, how long they seem to be taking or the current state of things. Just know that our God is patient He's not tearing, but he is, he is working and he's allowing. And God, Jesus reminds them here in this moment and us that our hope is to be in Christ by way of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside our heart over a long period of time all over the world. That's what we see even in the darkest hours of the kingdom. It's going to grow. It's going to move. It's going to do. It's going to happen and it seems to be church it just happens to seem to be that when there is great oppression or struggle or strife that comes against the church what does she do and she flourishes in ways that she's never flourished before as I mentioned the church in China is just busting at the seams is flourishing like never before today and they've told them to stop and their lives are at stake all over the world you see that happening if you take the name of Jesus, then it can cost you this. I, I could get a book right now and just read you story after story after story of men and women. And I'm not talking about in Jesus' day. I'm talking about in present day here and now. The lives of people are at stake Why? because of the gospel. So hear me, in the darkest of moments, the kingdom of God grows. Because God works and he moves in that. Why? Because he's our hope. Not the culture, not the world, not the government, not stuff. Jesus is our hope. And when you get a hold of that, as Eric said earlier, they can take everything. 
It doesn't matter why, because I have Christ living in me and they can't strip me of that. They can't take that away. And that church is the way of the kingdom. As the band comes back up, that is the way of the kingdom. That's why we want to be so intentional with these boxes. We did it last year. We started to incorporate it into who we are as a people, that we want to be serious. That's why we do the, the backpacks and we pack bags and we, we send them to the schools with little gospel messages in it. We want to feed their little stomach. Why? So hopefully one day we can have their ear. That's why we want to do things in our community. That's why we've got some things planned and we're praying through and we're looking at it. And I'm just going to give you an FYI. Next week is going to be crazy. You don't want to miss that because we've got some stuff that we're going to bring before you. Just to, in, in a way of, of, of kingdom growth, in the way of, of kingdom reaching. Because we believe that the gospel's got to get out. We believe that there is a world and a community that needs to hear about the love of Jesus and needs to see the love of Jesus. And we have got the great privilege and honor of doing that. So that's why we want to be a part of. That's why we want to. Because, and even no matter how dark it gets, we're not going to slow up, shut up, or stop. There is too much at stake. And so what we see in the scriptures this morning is this, is that the kingdom was established. What we've looked at over the last few weeks is that the kingdom is established. And what we had was, was no chaos. There was light. There was no darkness. There was no death. There was no disease. The Bible says that humankind was naked and there was no shame in that. There was no such thing as shame, no such thing as brokenness. There's no cancer that we had to battle. There was no illnesses that would partake us. There was no, none of that stuff. No shame, no depression, no anxiety. There was only light. There was only order. There was no chaos. And so when Jesus comes, he not only preaches the kingdom of God is at hand, he shows the power of the kingdom in a way that the world's not expecting. In the way the world is not expecting. And so, so, so may you keep the faith and know that the king is in complete control and working in a way that we would not expect. So whatever you're looking for, whatever you're thinking, what, what I've come to, to, to learn is this. It's kind of almost like with my kids. I, I, I don't know why, but my four-year-old is just into this. He wants a prize. I, and the crazy thing is like we can go to the gas station and like a $3 prize is like the greatest thing in the world. Like the chocolate egg with the candy or with the toy in the middle. I mean, first of all, who puts a toy in chocolate like that? I mean, but he will go crazy over that, that $3 chocolate junk. And my fear is that's, that's kind of what's happened to us as the church. I mean, we've, we've got an image and we've got a picture and we've got a thought. And we're like, just do it like this. Let's just get it to this point. Let's just be like this. Whenever God's in heaven, say, man, are you kidding me? Let's get out of the gas station for a moment. Put the dumb little chocolate toy back and let, let me really give you something. Let's really do something that's going to impact and move and make this world know all the more who I am. So may we come to the place, may we land at that place where we know that, that, that God's way is different than ours, that his thoughts and his ideas are, are much greater than ours could ever be, and that he's in the process of building a kingdom. Oh, he's in the process of moving and doing it. So what I would encourage you, church, is to hold tight, pray, keep following Jesus and show this world what he's like. Show this world what his kingdom is like. Regardless of how crazy, regardless of how much it contradicts what you believe, regardless, you stand firm in the faith and you be the light in the dark and you point all the more to the reality of who Jesus Christ is and his kingdom coming. Hear me, his ways are not ours. His plans are so much greater and so much better. We go to the gas station and pick the $3 chocolate with a toy in the middle when he has got something immensely greater. May we lean in and may we trust. May we see that God is moving and working even in the midst. And the thing that blows my mind, and we're going to talk about this more next week, is that who he uses in the midst of that. 
his citizens. What that means and what that looks like. So I don't know what God stirred in your heart. I don't know what he's done in this place this morning. Hopefully he's brought peace. Hopefully he has brought security and the reality that he's in control even in the midst of. I mean, if you need to come pray, this altar is open. They're going to lead us this morning in, in some more worship. And whatever you need to do in this moment, I'll be here. would love to pray with you. love to talk to you more about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. But you be obedient in this moment. Father, we love you. Jesus, we thank you. We praise you. God, we ask that you move in a mighty way in this place. God, as we think of the kingdom, as we look at it, God, I can just imagine those hearers in that day. You're telling this crazy story of a field with wheat and weeds. This crazy story of, of leaven dough, God, this crazy story of a mustard seed and just being confused. Now, we want a king who's going to break apart and, and, and destroy and get rid of. And Jesus, we don't know what we need, but we do know this. We know from your word that we need you. And God, our thoughts and our plans fail miserably. And so, Father, I just pray in this moment that you'd speak peace God, that you would move in a mighty way and remind us, God, that you are working and doing in the midst of, even when it seems like it's hopeless, that your kingdom's being established, that your kingdom's gonna come. God, move in a mighty way in this place. In your name we pray, amen.